You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So today we got a little bit of a cleanup day, just looking at a little bit, bit, little bit of news and information. That's what the kids call mumble rap. I dabble. I don't know. It's just a thing I do. Am I awesome? Yeah, kind of, but, you know, it's no big deal. I'll always remember you guys. Um, So a little bit of news and information type stuff. Hit up the voicemails, text messages, and Facebook group questions, comments, and um, then if we have enough time, I will be stealing things from the Facebook group um, unsolicited. As far as preliminaries, number one, please remember that the closing date for the Leroy Butler signed Lombardi Trophy is Sunday at noon. You have to get on Instagram, follow Packernet Podcast, and comment three people. Or tag three people, right? Don't just comment like Aaron Rodgers, you know. I mean, you could tag him. I'm not going to be mad about that. Just saying don't just like say three names. And you can do that up to three times. So we're talking about tagging nine different names three different times. That will give you three entries into the contest. You can get one additional entry. Stay with me now. If you leave a five-star iTunes review... Or anywhere, I guess. I've had some other people do different things. Not everybody has Apple. That's fine. But leave a five-star review. And then just send us a a screenshot of that on Instagram. And um, Jacob is going to be keeping track of all the entries. Sunday at noon, we're going to do a drawing. Roughly at noon. Sunday at noon is when it gets cut off. And then there will be a drawing thereafter. So just make sure you do it. It's one of those things that's going to take like a second. But you're going to forget. Like, Like doing NFL picks every week. Like, oh, I forgot to do it, even though I told myself 17 times throughout the week. Dude, why don't you just go on CBS real quick and do your picks? Like, yeah, 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 I'll do it in a little bit. No, you won't. You're going to forget again. Don't forget. I want you to get the trophy. It's going to be sweet. It's going to look real good. T-shirts are still a work in progress. I'm working through some uh, designs and whatnot. Got some that are looking real good. You just got to figure out how to get them to you and whatnot. But pretty excited about that. Also, thank you very, very much to Will, Bruce, and Joey for donating to the Packer fans against cancer on GoFundMe. The goal is for us collectively as Packer fans to be able to raise $1,000 by Christmas for the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. So far, we have $386 raised. We are way ahead of schedule, but, uh, you know, can't take a foot off the gas, man. All gas, no break, right? So anyways, thank you all very much for donating. I did put a link in the Facebook group, so if you're having trouble finding it, you can find it. It's pinned to the top in the Facebook group, so it should be the first thing you see when you get to the Facebook group. There is also a link in the description, right underneath the description. So please think about it. As I said, if you are planning on giving any donations to me directly, this includes Patreon if you want to dial that back or or stop that and use that money. That would be more than acceptable. Oh, and by the way, pretty sure this right here, episode 600, what up? <laughs> I don't even know it. I think I think 500 just blew by and I missed it. I actually, there was a, a period during when I was running this podcast where it went, it was the next day after the draft that I stopped the podcast and didn't start it until the season started. And the only reason is because I had just gotten to episode 100 and I wanted it to be so big 
and I couldn't think of anything to do. And I'm like reaching out to draft picks, being like, you guys got to be on the show and Packers. And like, it had to be this amazing, perfect show and nothing was going right. And it just, it, because I couldn't make a perfect show, there was no show because I get a little crazy about stuff sometimes. Everything has to be just perfect. Now I don't care so much. And so we don't miss a lot of episodes around here. However, one thing that I do like to do is ask for a donation that is one one hundredth of the episode we are on when we hit a milestone. So $5 at $500, $4 at $400. Typically, I would be asking you for a $6 donation for this today, the 600th episode. If you wouldn't mind, please consider giving a $6 donation to the Packer Fans Against Cancer uh, fund on GoFundMe.com. Again, those donations go to the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. Please feel free to check that out. And uh, I think that's it. Why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we'll start talking about stuff. I've noticed as I'm getting older year by year, I'm tolerating winter less and less. And at the age of 32 years old, I'm, I'm already basically like a 90-year-old lady. I walk outside, and it's, what, 30, 30 degrees, 25 degrees, and I'm bundled up, like cowering, shivering. I don't even care anymore. I'm not even trying to act tough. So the first thing I did when I got home, I ran upstairs, I reached into my closet, I felt around until I could feel the Mack Weldon hoodie, because believe me, you can feel it. I ripped that bad boy down and just threw it on, and I literally slept in it last night. But since I want to kind of highlight a few different things every day here, I want to talk about some of the more upscale stuff, because this is an upscale clothing company. My biggest regret when I went and did my Mack Weldon order was that I didn't get a polo for work, and I may have to dip my toe back in and grab one. If you head over to MacWeldon.com, look at their polos, but look really, really closely at the fabric. They've got this breathable micro-mesh fabric that, you know, when you're kind of far away, it just looks like a normal polo, and then you zoom in, and it's like this this weird mesh-looking stuff. looks unbelievably comfortable. And because it's meant to last, it's got the stay-put collar, so this thing isn't going to just wear down and look like this raggy old thing in a couple years. If for work you got to have, like, a full button-up, which I'm very glad I don't because I hate wearing them because they're really hot and uncomfortable and just generally stiff and starchy, Check out some of their button-downs. they got a very similar-looking fabric where they got the, the weaving mesh kind of look to it. But they've also got the underarm sweat guard, which obviously is important. I know you've, even though I don't do it, I see a lot of people that come into my office that wear these, and they just got the big sweat patches. Got to get Mack Weldon, bro. It also just has sweat-preventing technology. So just in general, that's kind of awesome with these kinds of shirts, which, again, are very uncomfortable, usually because they're just really hot and you sweat a lot. Either way, head over to MacWeldon.com. Check out their catalog. they got a ton of different things. Make sure you enter promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. MacWeldon.com. Check it out today. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, 
kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So let's start with the most basic of basic. Once again, the Green Bay Packers are probably the healthiest team in football. I'd be a little bit surprised if there was a healthier team. Um, The only player that didn't practice for non-veteran reasons was Adrian Amos, who has a hamstring injury. At this particular time, I don't think it's going to be anything super serious. We'll have to see how that goes. You know how hamstrings can be. This this might be a no-big-deal kind of situation. This could be he's out several weeks. This could be season-ending, you know, for all we know. But as far as I know, he's playing this Sunday. Hamstrings are weird. Otherwise, the only guys that didn't practice, Jimmy Graham and uh, Tremont, both of them for veteran rest. There were several that were limited. Devontae with his toe, who's not 100% back. Uh, Balaga, veteran rest. Kevin King still got the groin injury. Supposedly, he's doing better than last week, though, so hopefully he's going to be playing full snaps. I say hopefully, assuming he's going to play like he played when he was on. Maybe that's what we need to do, is just limit his snaps. Like, he's really good with 20 snaps, really bad with 40. I don't know. I'm just just spitballing here. Uh, also, Robert Tanyan and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, Scantling with an ankle and knee injury. Robert Tanyan with a hip injury. And, once again, the team coming in is much more injured. They had seven players that didn't practice. Zero of them had anything to do with veteran rest. In fact, I think I don't think I've seen a single team come in with veteran rest other than the Packers. That's kind of a Matt LaFleur thing, I guess. Which is a very good thing because it seems to be panning out. I'm not complaining. It seems to be working. But uh, Curtis Samuel with a hamstring injury. Again, I don't know that that's a serious situation. However, the wide receivers, as we'll talk about tomorrow, have been very impactful for this team. I know Christian McCaffrey's getting all the love, but the the wide receiver issue has been an issue for a while for Carolina. And maybe it just has to do with the good quarterback play that's helping out. I don't know. But for for the first time in a while, the wide receivers are kind of stepping up. They're just being overshadowed by Christian McCaffrey. Speaking of, Christian McCaffrey didn't practice because of a knee injury, um, but supposedly he's going to be fine. He'll be ready to go. Other guys that didn't practice, safety Eric Reed, defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, cornerback James Bradbury, tackle Greg Little, and defensive tackle Vernon Butler. The James Bradbury injury is kind of new, and it, it's a don't know exactly if he's going to play, but he did tweak it and had to leave the game on, on last Sunday. The only real comment on that is that he expects him to practice at some point. James Bradbury is their number one corner. I don't know that that doesn't necessarily mean he's their number one in terms of talent. It's actually a pretty close, you know, they're, they're all kind of in that decent-ish range. No real lockdowns, but no real duds. But in terms of snap counts, he is pretty easily the number one corner. Nothing else is really seen as a serious issue, at least at this point. Nobody in the Carolinas seem to be panicking too much. Um, it, it seems like big news that Cam Newton was put on IR, but I don't know that it necessarily... I mean, it's big news for the Panthers, especially any Panthers fans that wanted him back, although they haven't really been losing without him. But he was never really expected to play, so it, for our purposes, it's not that big of a deal. Um, interestingly enough, um, Kyle Allen is graded out. He's, his grade right now on PFF is a 53.8, which is below average. And so you might get excited about that and say, oh, man, it's a good thing uh, Cam Newton didn't come back. Cam's was a 50.4. <laughs> he was not doing very well. 
He did have a slightly higher pass grade, but actually it was his run grade that was really low. And, it, you know, it wasn't that low of a sample size, 141 snaps. Kyle Allen's only had 395, so 200 more snaps. Either way, the quarterback situation wasn't a strength. It still isn't a strength, but the team is still scary. We'll get more into the team, but that's just sort of a general look at the the uh, how the quarterback situation stacks up. Now, Matt LaFleur did go out of his way to say, look, uh, they've been winning with Kyle Allen, and Kyle Allen's a big part of the reason why. And that's true because he's the quarterback. I mean, the defense could drag the Bears to a victory, and Mitch Trubisky would still be a part of the reason why. It's also just coach speak. I mean, anytime you ask a coach about one of the other players' opponents, I, I don't think you're ever going to hear Matt LaFleur say, who? Oh, no, he's trash. That <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're not even game planning on that guy. Now, now we're working on uh, McCaffrey, some of the wide receivers. Got to figure out what we're going to do with this offensive line. You know, their defense, got to watch out. Luke Keekley, you know, he's a monster. Kyle Allen, they'll straight trash. Not even worried about it. Probably going to get like six interceptions in this game. He's so bad. They, they just, they don't do that. So I know LaFleur didn't say he's bad. I'm just telling you, he's, he's struggling a bit. Yeah. He's a backup, man. Have you seen how bad quarterbacks are in the NFL? If this guy was a really good quarterback, he'd probably be playing somewhere else. Am I right? I think I am. Thank you very much. I did not get a chance last um, yesterday to talk about Ibrahim Campbell because we had the PFF day, but I'm excited to be able to talk about him today. And it's it's actually kind of funny. It was actually one year ago from, I think, yesterday or two days ago that we picked up Ibrahim Campbell. So we're getting him at the exact same time we got him last year. Also interesting, this is when we had cut Jermaine Whitehead after he slapped the dude in the face, who, interestingly enough, was also just cut again. So the reason I know that is because uh, tonight I'm going to be posting a This Time in History episode. It's already up and ready to go, but I listened to it, and that's what the episode was about. So it was pretty cool. I, I got to talk about Ibrahim Campbell for the first time, got to talk about Jermaine Whitehead, and how, you know, it's it doesn't really make sense that it was just a slap. You know, something else is going on here. So it's, it's kind of fun to hear the gears turning and whatnot. So check that out. But the, the thing with Ibrahim Campbell, he's one of those guys that if you're looking at PFF, he's always been kind of good, but nobody seems to want to pick him up, and I don't really get why. And, and this happens a lot with safeties. Right? There's always safeties floating out there that you look at, and they're like, you know, they're not elite, but they're pretty good. I don't, I don't understand what the problem is. The one thing that we know about Ibrahim Campbell is his coverage has been up and down. Pass rush, obviously, is, is wildly volatile because it just, you know, they, they don't get a lot of opportunities. Run defense is pretty good. 2018, it was very good. But he is an unbelievable tackler. Very, very, very good, with the exception of one year in which he graded out his average. He's been elite the other three years. 2015, 17, and 18, he was elite as a tackler. Not exactly, but very close. 2017 was an 87, all right? And the cool thing about this is we need that real bad. I I don't, I mean... Okay, so he's he's maybe sometimes kind of good in coverage, sometimes not so much. But you got a guy that can play as our dime linebacker that's kind of decent in coverage, sometimes not so great, but is usually pretty good against the run and is just the most sure tackler you're going to find. Yeah, dude, just put him next to Blake. Just That's fine. Let's just do that forever. Let's never take him off the field. I want that guy there forever. We got to have a guy like that. I mean, just, just let's just stop calling him a safety, call him a linebacker. I don't even care. We need so much help in the middle of the defense. It's ridiculous. So, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. Now, I know we, we tend to get too hyped up about guys, and especially guys like, like Ibrahim, who 
have had success in limited sample sizes, right? He was good, but he played in three weeks for the Packers and really just twice in a full-time capacity. But let me tell you what happened. So week 11, he only played 13 snaps, but again, pretty good tackler. In just 13 snaps, um, he had two tackles, only one of which was run defense. And amazingly, only one time he's playing against the run, he had one stop of the two tackles. And a stop is a negative play for the offense, meaning it's less than four yards on first down, less than however many on second down, and then a, a either preventing a first down on third or fourth down. Now, if you're a safety, you tend to get a little less of those because you're further away. But again, on only 13 snaps, he had two tackles and one stop. In 12 snaps in coverage on that day, he was targeted once, had one reception for six yards. After that, though, his his snap count went way up. Week 12 against Minnesota, 53 snaps the man played. Now, this is largely due to injury, but still. So, very large sample size. 18 snaps against the run, 35 in coverage. 35 times he was in coverage. He was only targeted once, and it was caught for only two yards. One target, one reception, two yards, 35 plays in coverage. Now, when you're a safety, it's different than a corner because, you know, coverage is a little bit different. You're not exactly man-to-man. But still, that's 35 times you're playing in coverage, and especially when your one reception is two yards, probably because he's playing close to the line of scrimmage, right? He's playing as a linebacker, so. But he also had seven tackles, one assisted tackle, and three stops in that game. This is his first full-time role. He comes in seven tackles, one assist, three stops, only targeted once for two yards. His coverage grade was a 68.2, so good, kind of low good, high average, whatever. That's fine. I'm good with that. His run defense was a 77.5, which is good, bordering on very good, and his tackling was an 83.9. It was very good. The very next week in Arizona, 46 snaps, 21 run defense, uh, once as a pass rusher, 24 times in coverage. His pass rush didn't go anywhere, so he had basically an average grade. It was slightly below because he didn't get home. His coverage was a 76, which is really good. Again, only targeted once, only one reception, this time for 12 yards. Now, the passer rating isn't great, 116.7, but again, 24 times in coverage, you're only looking at his, at the production of one target. But what did he do in all those other snaps? PFF was watching, and they're like, no, he did a pretty good job. He had another six tackles, one assist, one stop, one forced fumble. This is his second full-time gig now. 13 tackles, two assists, four stops, one forced fumble in two games. Again, 84 was his tackling grade, 74 was his run defense grade. Overall grade was an 83.9. His overall grade last year with the Packers in three weeks was an 84.7. That's, that's I think like Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae are like the only three guys that have grades that high right now for the entire team. Now, usually, you know, in small sample sizes, you get guys with, with grades like that, and then it starts to even out for what you normally are. So that's probably inflated, but still, he, he did a fantastic job, and he did exactly what we need a guy to do right now, and that is play close to the line of scrimmage, do a good enough job in coverage, you know, better than Blake, and then just really make sure that you're hitting every single tackle and just stuffing everybody. And he's just very good at that. So this could be a really impactful addition to the team if he just comes in and does that one thing. Just be really good against the run and a really good tackler and decent enough in coverage. I mean, if he can do anywhere even close to this, this is this is just this is my hero. Just do for the rest of the year, get six and seven tackles, two to three stops, you know, a forced fumble once every three games, and then, you know, one target, one reception for eight-ish yards. Hero. Instant hero. So I'm not exactly sure what the plan is as far as easing him back in, but the sooner we can get this guy to full-time snaps, let's just do it, man.
Because as much as I really like the guys that are filling in, and I think they're doing a good enough job, especially in coverage, there's, there's just no question that there's a very serious problem with stopping the run. And with Christian McCaffrey coming up, if we can put Ibrahim Campbell in there, all the better. I mean, that, that's almost an, an ideal situation to match up with Christian McCaffrey. Not to say that he can handle it. Christian McCaffrey just eats everybody's lunch. But as far as who would I want on Christian McCaffrey, a guy that's got enough speed to be able to, to hang with him when he runs out in coverage, but also a good enough run defender to, to be able to help in, in run support when he's running the football, it's just kind of an ideal situation for a guy like Christian McCaffrey. So, again, I don't usually like to hype up guys like this because it's unnecessary, right? There's a reason guys like this aren't just locked into a team making bajillions of dollars as some guy that's all over the news as a great safety and everything else, right? He's got some flaws out there, but he's just proven himself to just be a solid, steady guy, which is kind of the way Brian Gutekunst likes it, right? Adrian Amos, solid, steady guy, good tackler. Zadarius and Preston, prior to this year, they were pretty just solid, steady guy. This year, by the way, oh my good, I think both of them right now, I just looked recently. So if you if you haven't been listening, or if you forget, one thing that I like to track is pressure percentage. What percentage of the time when you're rushing the passer do you try to, or can you generate a pressure? Less than 10% is pretty bad. 10% is kind of acceptable, right? You get over that 10% hump, and it's like, all right, you're not bad. You're not super great. You're, you're a starter, I guess. Uh, Rashawn Gary, by the way, I think is like 9.5. So it's, it's not there, but it's not abysmal. I think Brian Burns is at like 7.5 or something really bad. Just, just, just throwing that out there. But then from there, you get up into the 12%, 13%, and then you're, you're a good pass rusher. Right, I think Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels were kind of up in that 12-13 range. That was, I'm talking last year. That was really solid, right? These are really solid, really impactful. You got a game plan for them. If you get up into the 15-plus territory, you're in elite company. This is the TJ Watts. These are the Khalil Max, right? You're talking 14, 15, 16, 17. Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are both at about 15%. Both of them. I don't know the last, I didn't see any, nobody last year had 15%, not one person. Now, the biggest problem, a lot of people are talking about how the Packers pass rush isn't that good. That's true. The pass rush isn't very good, but our pass rushers are unbelievably good. The problem is they're not getting help anywhere else. We're getting nothing from Dean Lowry. We're getting nothing from Kenny Clark. We're getting almost nothing from Rashawn Gary. We're getting almost nothing from Kyler Fackrell. We're getting nothing from Kingsley Kiki, and some of these guys don't have as many snaps, but I'm just saying, there's nothing else. It's just those two guys, which is really upsetting because last year, all of our pressure came from the interior and we got nothing from the exterior. So my whole thing was, hey, if Preston and Zadarius can bring in, you know, if if Preston can give us like 11% or 10% and Zadarius can give us 12%, and then Kenny keeps giving us 12.5, and Dean's up there around like 9.5, 10, I mean, this is a pretty good line, man. Well, nobody's giving us anything else on the interior or anywhere else for that matter. So it's all Preston and Zadarius who aren't playing every single snap. So when they come off the field, you just anticipate there's not going to be any pressure. And that's that's not good enough. How in the world did we get here? Oh, right. Brian Gutekunst likes the slow and steady. Makes sense that we ended up here. But yeah, I just want to give you that little tidbit of information. Very, very awesome how productive they've been. The only other note I wanted to touch on before we take our second break was the temperature factor of the game on Sunday. Uh, A lot of people are kind of hoping for snow and and thinking that the cold is going to work to our benefit. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. Um, First of all, the Carolina Panthers do play in an outdoor arena, but, you know, 
the assumption that it's basically 80 degrees and warm there and then they're going to come up here and it's going to be 20 degrees and freezing and they're not going to be able to handle it. Right now in Charlotte it's 43 degrees. Now it's going to get up to 70 but they have more than enough ability to see what this temperature feels like. Tomorrow the low in Charlotte, North Carolina is 28 degrees. It's supposed to be 34 degrees when playing in Green Bay. Factor in that that even the Packers are not exactly used to this weather. They're going to have a little bit better of an opportunity to get acclimated because it's been a little colder here, and they're going to be outside. You know, when they're practicing, it's going to be colder. You know, in Carolina, it'll probably be like 65 degrees when they're practicing at noon. But if they wanted to put an emphasis on it, they 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 can and they will. I'm talking about Carolina. I just don't see that as a as a massive, you know, help. Cold is hard, and maybe if we're talking about a warm weather team that plays in a dome coming up in December, that can be a massive shock to the system. But when when the cold weather is relatively new, and again, Carolina's facing weather, you know, tomorrow again, it's going to be below 30 in Carolina. I just don't see that as a, a massive factor. So hopefully it gives a little bit of an edge, but the only good thing about it is that we're at home. So you, you got two sort of mental components working against you. Both the Packers and the Carolina Panthers have to mentally battle the cold which when you're running around as much as they are, you're probably not even cold at all. I was raking the leaves the day before it snowed, so what, Monday? Started off with a hat and gloves and a coat, and after about 30 minutes of raking, I was down to um, just gloves, and that was mostly just to protect my hands from getting all chewed up. I was out there with a t-shirt on. So again, I, I don't I don't expect that to be a massive component working in the Packers' favor. The bigger issue is going to be um, the noise, and there needs to be a lot of noise. And if you'd like to contribute to that noise, you might want to consider buying a ticket. And if you're going to buy a ticket, you should probably consider downloading the Vivid Seats mobile app. Some of the cheaper tickets, um, they're down to almost 100 bucks. Granted, it's just a single ticket, but still, it's, it's, this is a far cry from the L.A. Chargers tickets. And even for multiple tickets, we're talking like 120 bucks. Something to think about. The biggest advantage that the Packers have when they're at home is the Packers fans getting very, very loud. Like I said, when I went to that game, I specifically remember them hurrying up to the line, and I really do believe that had a lot to do with the noise because it took a while for the fans to get kind of revved up on third down. If they just ran to the line and ran a play, there was almost no noise, which frustrated me very much because it's like, come on, why does this take five minutes for everyone to start screaming? But it absolutely is impactful, and it was nice to know that you were getting inside the heads of, of the other players. And also, it, it, it fires up guys like Zadarius and Preston on third down. You know, we talk about why these guys have a second gear on third down, and, and it seems like they're, you know, the, the sack rates and pressure rates on third down compared to first and second down seem to be much, much higher. I wouldn't be all that surprised if, if the roar of the crowd had a lot to do with that. So if you're planning on going, check out the Vivid Seats mobile app. You automatically get re- uh, set up in the Vivid Seats reward loyalty program where you can earn Vivid Seats rewards. Each purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. And when you're ready to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Check out VividSeats.com or download the Vivid Seats mobile app and get you some tickets. If you're not going to the game but you want to have a little bit of extra fun, let my bookie be your party pad. Some pretty big encouragement here is that the line is actually moving in the Packers' favor. It was a five-point uh, differential. The Green Bay Packers are now five-and-a-half-point favorites with a 47-point over-under. Money line Packers are minus 240, Carolina plus 195. So, you know, Vegas has got some smart people. They looked at the Chargers and they said, I think this is going to be close. And that didn't budge even once. That sat at three points and it just sat there. And I remember being surprised and very worried about that. 
This game, it started at 5, which is already surprising because Carolina is not that bad. And they've got some scary weapons on that team, and they got some real scary defenders on the defense. And it opened up at minus 5, and now we're at minus 5.5. So that, in and of itself, is a pretty encouraging sign. Also, Minnesota Vikings are plus 3, so the Dallas Cowboys are favored in that game. Chicago and Detroit, it is now a 2.5-point differential. Not sure if that's a real betting term or if I just made that up, but it's it's a very close game, and Chicago is only favored by 2.5 points, which, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I get it. It's just they have to score a point to win. That's that's the biggest hang-up I have. And Detroit's got a pretty good offense. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Mumble rap. Dropping my first LP next week. But, again, if you're not into that, they got the prop bets. Those usually come up Saturday or Sunday. You can get down on a bunch of multiple different prop bets. And those are a little bit closer to live action, which, by the way, that's going to be a thing very soon. But if you join right now, my book, you will match your first deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you're going to get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. So just use promo code OVERTIME to activate this offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so looking at some of the uh, Google messages I got from quite a while ago. By the way, the phone number is in the description if you'd like to send a text or a voicemail. I don't do a very good job of getting to these, but uh, I try. So the first message I got says, I don't have access to the coach's film, so it's hard to tell, but I feel like Rodgers reverted back to the trying too hard for the home run play instead of taking what the defense gave, or, which is just as likely, do our receivers just kind of suck at getting open outside of 17? So... The overall answer, I think, is it's too early to tell, right? The, the obvious conclusion or, or fear, and, and the, the problem is we, we asserted this question into it. When Devontae comes back, are things going to get harder because he's going to key in on Devontae? Things got harder, so we assume that we were correct, and this is a big, scary thing. The problem is there are a lot of other variables that don't usually happen, right? The offensive line playing out garbage, getting behind on third downs all the time. It forced them to play differently, and even Matt LaFleur had mentioned that he was too too anxious, I guess, to try to deviate from the game plan. Rather than sticking with the game plan, let's just try the home run hit or whatever. So I'm not going to say for the second part that it's just that our receivers aren't very good at getting open, although that's probably true. We've seen them have success without Devontae, so you know it, it can work. We know it can work. Whether it's the receivers or the scheme, Aaron Rodgers gets the ball to receivers, they catch it, we get first downs. That's what happens. Is Aaron Rodgers reverting back to the home run play thing? Again, I'm going to say no because I think a lot of it had to do with the situation. However, it is a little disconcerting to see him kind of revert back to old bad habits when things get kind of hard. right? When things get scary and we get backed up, it kind of becomes like, forget the game plan, we're doing backyard football, just run deep and I'm just going to launch it down the field. That needs to kind of cool it. And we've, we've seen times when the team just battles back from, from being down. They battle back the right way, and they end up winning. So I don't know what it is about this game. It, maybe Aaron was just... See, that's the thing, though. If, you, if you're scared of getting hit, you're going to get the ball out quick. So I don't know. It, it just... It was not fun to see that, and I can't really explain why that was the, the reaction. You know, final play of the game on fourth down. All we need is a first down. He decides to launch a touchdown pass, and it's just... It's nowhere near anybody. And it's just like, this. I don't get it. Why? Why are you doing this? But again, I'm, I'm not going to panic until this becomes like a new thing. Like if this happens again, but the offensive line is playing better and it's just Aaron Rodgers just gets it and he decides he's going to launch it down the field or just key in on Devontae, then we've got a bit of a problem. 
But I'm willing to call this an anomaly because everybody was just playing kind of like garbage, and I feel like Aaron Rodgers got scared and just felt like, you know what, I'm putting this thing on my back. And again, he just kind of reverted back to his old habits of, I'm in charge and we're just going to make one big giant highlight reel. This whole game is going to be an Aaron Rodgers highlight reel. And it is a very bad habit because it's never really worked. But um, yeah, again, I'm giving everybody a pass, right? Although I'm probably exaggerating, I don't care because I want to move on. Just saying the whole team was drunk and that's what happened. I don't care. Moving on. Um, Eric from Toledo reminded me, I had mentioned yesterday, I think it was yesterday, about Kyle Fuller and and the contract situation that the Bears are in and how he's being somewhat overpaid. He reminded me that actually the, the Packers had sort of poison-pilled that situation, although it was kind of a low a low offer. Essentially what they did is they kind of set the, the floor for that contract. The Packers had offered Kyle Fuller a contract. It was low to the point where the Bears had no problem offering him a contract, but it was high enough that they had to go over the contract in order to keep him. So a big part of the reason he's getting as much money as he is is because the Packers laid out a, a, a pile of money. They're like, here, you want this? And then because of the rules, they, they have to wait and see if the Bears will come up over that, and they did. And I don't think there was any expectation that they weren't going to, which is why he's saying poison pilling, because that was seemingly the intention of the Packers, is to make sure they just didn't get a steal of a deal. Right? They didn't get a friendly deal. So Goot acting masterfully out there. Um, I got a voicemail here from Andy. Calls in pretty regularly. He had uh, two main things that he had talked about. Number one is is how grateful we all should be. The fact that, for example, if someone were to ask, "Hey, did you see that that pass or that that yeah that that, that pass in that game from Aaron Rodgers?" The the common refrain in a game usually is going to be, "Which one?" If you're talking about a great pass, whereas if you were to say, for example, "Hey, did you see that great pass from Trubisky?" You'd probably just have people look at you like you're crazy. You mean like last year, that one that he had in the end zone? Or, for example, if you were to say, did you, did you you know, get to witness that Hail Mary from Aaron Rodgers, what would your reaction be? Either yes, because you've seen all of them, and you're not really care about, don't really care about clarity because you don't care about the person you're talking to and want to get back to whatever it is you were doing, which is a fair response. Did you see that Hail Mary? Yes. Goodbye. Or, more than likely, you would say, which one? Because he's done it multiple times. So it, it was kind of nice to hear from him and, and just to kind of get that perspective on, you know, we, we kind of nitpick things like, oh, Aaron Rodgers, is, he's too keying in on this, or he's trying to take too many big plays or all these different things. But we, we're still living in an era that, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and just think, man, we didn't know what we had in him. We just didn't get it. People are, you know, 20, 30 years from now, going to look back and still be talking about one of the greatest throwers to ever throw a football, Aaron Rodgers. You know, kids and grandkids are going to be talking about, oh, did, did you see Aaron Rodgers? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a... And we're going to be thinking about, yeah, I I, uh, I had a podcast where I complained about him a lot and, you know, said he took too many big throws and he only won one Super Bowl and basically I just complained the whole time. Something to think about. Probably maybe shouldn't complain all the time, once in a while, but try to be grateful once in a while too. Uh, the second point that he brought up, and he said he thought that it uh, – Aligns pretty well with the Packers season, but his son's basketball team is coming up with a motto, and the motto was, if the sky's the limit, how come there's footprints on the moon? I kind of started thinking about that, and it it brought me to the question of what realistically was the best case scenario for the Green Bay Packers coming into this season? In, In your mind, and I know for some people, everybody, no matter what, I mean, there are Browns fans who probably think, this is the year, man, go with Super Bowl! Well, I know this last year there were a lot of people that said that, but in general, there, there's always, you know, Bears fans are always saying that even when they're not that good. Like, oh, this is the year you don't even know. Don't even know. 
but but for the realistic people out there, what was in your mind the absolute best case scenario? In my mind, it was that the you know the, the head coach would be a good hire, the offense would be clicking again, and the defense would take a little bit of a step. My hope was that we we could potentially win the division and hopefully get into the playoffs and, and kind of get this thing started again to go on another bit of a run. My assumption, however, was that it would still be at least a two-year rebuild. But at the very least, my hope was that the offensive, you know, the, the offense would improve, the scheme would, would stick. But then let me follow it up with this question. As the team sits at 8-2, and two, why is it they can't win a Super Bowl? What, what rule is out there that says they, they, this year they won't be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? Obviously, it's going to be next year, but you get what I'm saying. This season... I don't think anybody realistically could have asked the question, you know, or, or had an expectation that the Packers could win a Super Bowl with a first-year head coach, a second-year defensive coordinator, a bunch of first-year defenders, and, and, you know, we got a first-year rookie on the offensive line, a bunch of undrafted free agent wide receivers, you know, the safeties, basically the two starting safeties were not on this team last year, one of them wasn't even in the NFL, two pass rushers that were not on this team, Kevin King's never healthy. Right, I mean, it's just, Tremont is 700 years old. But again, looking at it now, sitting at seven and two, what's standing in their way? Other than themselves, there's really nothing in their way. They've got the best quarterback in football. They've got a very, very good offensive scheme and an offensive game planner. They have lots of talent on defense. It's it's regressing, but there's still a lot of talent and a very talented defensive coordinator. I actually went back and looked at it. Matt Lafleur would not be the first ever first-time head coach to win a Super Bowl. There have been, according to this article, because I couldn't find one with first year, there have been 11 coaches who have won Super Bowls within their first two seasons. Of the coaches that I can see that won in their first season, you've got Don McCafferty. Don McCafferty took over after Don Shula retired, and Johnny Unitas and the folks went and got a Super Bowl in his first year. Now, this is going to be a consistent theme, but hang with me. There's a difference between a terrible team firing their head coach and hiring somebody else to take over and somebody taking the reins of a very, very good team. That's what what, uh, Don McCafferty did. The Baltimore Colts were contenders from 1963 to 1969. They were a very, very good team for a very, very long time. He comes in in 1970, and they won a Super Bowl. Now, you still get credit for that, but he took over one of the top teams in football. Another guy is George Seifert. He took over for the 49ers in 1989 after they had just won the Super Bowl in 1988, which was their third Super Bowl. That is to say... Bill Walsh retired. He came into the most unstoppable team that, you know, one of the most unstoppable teams football has ever seen, and they went on to win another Super Bowl. Gary Kubiak is another one, although again, this is a very good team. Dominant defense. Peyton Manning is the quarterback. He comes in, wins the Super Bowl in his first year. The only two coaches ever that I'm aware of that took over struggling teams and won Super Bowls are the 2001 Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were 9-7 and seven under Tony Dungy. And the very next year, John Gruden went 12-4 and four and won a Super Bowl with him. And actually, that's it. I was going to say Brian Billick, but that was his second year. Brian Billick's first year, he went 8-8. Eight and eight. So that's it. John Gruden is the only one. Unless I missed something, John Gruden is the only one to take over a team that was struggling and in his very first year win a Super Bowl. Matt LaFleur has the potential to be the second coach ever to take over a team with a losing record and win a Super Bowl in his first year. And by the way, 6-9 and nine is a worse record. And, and again, the, the, the point of that motto is that there, the, people say the sky's the limit. You're putting a limit on it. The limit is you can't take over a team and in one year turn it around. 
You can't in one year expect to win a Super Bowl. That's only happened once in history. Again, that I'm aware of. Maybe, you know, Lombardi and pre-Super Bowl. I, I don't know. Somebody wants to take the time to do a full research thing. I just did this off the cuff, and I got to get going to work here. But that I can see, John Gruden is the only one to take over a losing team and win a Super Bowl in his first year. Which kind of tells me two things, if you think again, back on the motto. There are footsteps on the moon. In other words, it's been done before. There is no limit that says it can't be done. It can be done. By the way, the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers record uh, through Week 9 was 7-2. and two. They had a Week 10 bye, which is a very similar bye. Week 11, they played the Carolina Panthers, which is also very similar. But they went on to lose only two more games. They lost to the Saints. They lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not impossible to say that the Packers beat the Carolina Panthers, go into their bye, come out of their bye only losing two games. You could say they lose to the 49ers, lose to the Vikings or whatever, which would be a similar thing in which you lose to an AFC opponent and a divisional opponent. The New Orleans Saints are a divisional opponent. But then they come back, they beat the 49ers in the divisional game, beat the Eagles in the conference championship, and then beat the Oakland Raiders in the Super Bowl. Just some food for thought, man. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.